Every year, we update the IC Top 100 funds, a list which highlights what we think are some of the better ways to access a range of assets and of which you can see the latest version in today's issue of Investors Chronicle. I'm Lenora Walters, and joining me today are Dave Baxter, Deputy Personal Finance Editor at Investors Chronicle, and David Little, Chief Executive of Ipso Facto Investor. A lot of work goes into reviewing the funds on the list and assessing possible new ones, some of which is done by a panel of 10 investment professionals, who include today's guest, David Little. David, the IC Top 100 funds, as the name suggests, looks to highlight what look like good funds, but not all of our listeners invest in funds. So what would you say are some of the main benefits of doing this, as opposed to investing directly in UK equities? Well, Leonora, I suppose the um, the main, most obvious benefit is diversification. So you're spreading your risk over a portfolio of what might be 30, 40, 50, or even more um, individual securities. And that's in just one fund, isn't in, it? In, yeah. In just one, one fund, as you say. So obviously, that makes it a, a, a much less risky proposition than owning just one uh, individual business or sh- share. Um, you obviously have access to a dedicated investment professional. Um, now, some may say that uh, that hasn't always worked out terribly well, but um, they obviously do have uh, the um, access to professional research um, and quality information. And I'm not saying there's inside information, but obviously people who are closer to the market get to hear about things quicker than you can as an ordinary individual investor. I suppose most obviously you can see this in um, overseas funds and different sectors and geographical areas where it might be difficult to access um, exposure through one individual stock as opposed to getting professional investment management through a fund or a uh, investment trust. Okay. Now, a benefit of investing via funds is a massive choice and offer. UK private investors can access over 3,000 active funds. But this can also be a problem in that it makes it harder to pick out the good ones. So what's your process for trying to pick out a good fund? Well, we try to concentrate on understanding the performance track record as much as possible. Uh, That does not just mean picking the top performing funds uh, out of a particular sector, we can like funds that have underperformed as long as we understand why that is the case and as long as we have confidence that in the future environment that uh, investment approach might come right. Uh, We also look slightly differently at investment trusts versus funds. With investment trusts, we're looking at the, the ratio of discounts to uh, performance and value, uh, whereas in funds we're, we're tending to look more at uh, the performance track record and the volatility, etc. Okay, now you've mentioned a few things here, but um, what would you say are maybe like the two, three most important attributes to check uh, when selecting a fund? Well. You need to to obviously look at the track record. Um, You need to look at the length of tenure of the fund manager. You need to understand whether there's a team behind the fund manager or whether it's a single person. You're obviously wanting to look at charges of the fund and um, 
whether in particular that fund has an objective which meets the sort of sort of investment ob- objective you are trying to achieve. Okay, um, so like turning to what's not so good, what attributes would deter you from investing a fund? And is there any one feature that would make you categorically exclude a fund from your selections? Well, I, I suppose the most obvious thing is if you look at, if you get consistently bad stock selection in a, a fund where even if the style is out of favour, there would be there would have been opportunities to put in a better performance. So that consistently bad stock selection, and I mean I hate to raise the question of Woodford, but I mean it is in the in in the news a lot. It has to be said. And the fact is that my objection to Woodford uh, when we were looking at this, and this was before the fund was closed, and and uh, um, all, all the uh, all the exposure about that. But my objection was not so much the unquoted exposure, although that is related to the issue, it was the fact that in terms of stock selection, he had made some consistently bad choices. And you think of Capita, think of Provident Financial, even Imperial Tobacco, Imperial Brands, I should say. Um, these, these are stocks that you didn't have to own as a value investor, particularly Capita and Provident Financial were on very high PEs. So I just think um, he lost the plot. And you've got to watch out for that when when you get bad stock selection. That doesn't mean you can't be a value investor mm. and be out of style and be underperforming. But if you're really so out of kilter with what's happening, even within your own style, then that is a uh, you know that is a warning sign. Now, how can a list like the IC Top 100 funds or other favourite fund lists published by brokers and wealth advisors help investors narrow down choices? Well, I think one of the most important features of a list like the IC Top 100 is to show investors the extent of categories of funds available. Because not everyone may be aware that you can get exposure through high yield bond funds, through um, small cap Asian funds, through all kinds of different areas. So it's it's opening up the possibilities of asset allocation, which may not be clear. Um, Within that, um, obviously, it's useful for investors to be able to test what they've got in their portfolios against the list in the top 100. And clearly, for the new investor uh, who's just coming into the market, it's, it's a way of introducing funds that um, that may be attractive. What are the limitations and drawbacks of lists like the IC Top 100 funds? And why are these lists not a substitute for doing your own research on a fund? Well, clearly these lists tend to be a picture at one point in time. Uh, and by the nature of what they are, they're, they're quite um, time-consuming to put together. So they're not generally updated you know that frequently, just once a year in our case. So, indeed, um, yeah, indeed. So, and in, particularly in these markets, in the recent markets, which are fast changing, things can things can move very mm. very quickly. Obviously, you hope for the long term investor, uh, it's it's still relevant. Um, but clearly, the funds are not tailored to people's individual investment require requirements, uh, and. Um, 
I think really that that's those are the two main the two main points. Yeah, absolutely. And I would emphasize um we make very clear in our introduction that the IC Top 100 funds is not personal advice, it's not financial advice. Um if you need that, you should go and consult an independent financial advisor. Now, if you're interested in an IC Top 100 fund or another fund on, you know, one of the broker's favorite funds lists, what additional research should you go and do before investing in it? Well, I would always start with going to the fact sheet um, behind the fund. So these are usually available on the fund manager's website quite easily, the recent monthly fact sheet. Uh, look at the, what's in the portfolio, look at the investment objective, uh, look at the charges and the TERs, the total expense r- ratios, do some investigation into the tenure of the fund manager and who is the fund manager and what other funds they manage, uh, what is the size of the fund. Uh, these are the sorts of things that you need to do. But it, it, starting with the fact sheet, I think, is important. You can then go on and look at reports and accounts and get some more information about the fund um, and uh, clearly look at the track record, as, as, as we've said, but that, that is not... Uh, the be be all and end all. Okay. Now, a big mistake many investors make is holding too many funds. Roughly what number of funds are appropriate for an investment portfolio? Well, I think it will depend on the size of the portfolio and also to some extent the objective of the portfolio and whether it is, for example, a, a SIP or whether it's an ISA or what you're trying to achieve with that investment portfolio. But I think as a base case, uh, you know, 10 to 20 funds is usually going to be sufficient. But, you know, 30 would be acceptable. But much above that, you think maybe uh, that's going over the top. Okay. And what other considerations are important when you're thinking about your portfolio as a whole? Well, we mentioned before diversification. I think particularly at the moment in these uncertain times, this is this is really important that investors look at spreading their risk, spreading their exposure as widely as possible, both in terms of geographic exposure around the world and in terms of asset allocation to um, to, to different um, asset classes such as alternatives, private equity, hedge funds, even gold perhaps. So all of these things need to be considered as part of a portfolio. But linked with that will be the question of time horizon and what you're trying to achieve, your investment objective. But particularly important is how long you are expecting to hold those investments for, which will then or should govern your asset allocation between the the less risky and the more risky investments. Okay. Now, turning to the list, um, you suggested keeping a number of the existing funds on it, which made my life a lot easier. That aside, one of the funds you suggested keeping was Artemis Global Income. Uh, This is despite the fact that this fund has underperformed global equity benchmarks and its sector peers recently. So why did you suggest keeping it on the list. I'll just come to that. I'd just like to take you up on the point about keeping the same funds because if we as a panel or mm. the general selection process is doing its job reasonably well in terms of selecting long-term good investments, then you would expect that there would not be 
that many changes to the funds. In terms of the Artemis Global Income Fund, it has a good long-term record, and it did look to us like a classic play for value stocks, albeit balanced by some defensiveness in the stock selection. But this should do really well if we get a bounce in value. And if you just hold um, funds investing in internet and tech stocks, which have generally been the, the funds that have done well, you just don't get that diversification when perhaps they might start doing not so well. Okay. Now, you suggested dropping Schroeder Small Cap Discovery, a fund focused on Asian smaller companies. We followed up on your suggestion, despite this fund being run by a highly regarded manager, Matthew Dobbs. What were your main reasons for suggesting we drop it? It really is just that the five-year record looked to us fairly average. Um, and, you know, we, we acknowledge that, that Matthew Dobbs is an excellent fund manager. Um, in other areas, but with this small cap cap fund, the, the record is not that strong. And I would say with with small cap, in differentiation to, to larger cap, it's much harder for us uh, as investors to tell whether this underperformance or average performance is to do with a style bias or to do with poor stock selection or what really are the reasons behind it because to research into these small Asian caps obviously is beyond most of our capabilities. Okay now as you said Matthew Dobbs does have an excellent long-term performance record particularly um, on some of the other funds he runs so via what other funds could investors access his stock picking skills? Well, it's not small cap, but I mean, we have liked Schroeder Asia Pacific Investment Trust for a long time, and that's been in in our portfolios that we run, um, and it's in in the top one hundred list, and we think that's an excellent fund. But you know, it does make the point you don't want to have too many funds from the same fund manager. Keeping Schroeder Asia Pacific is a reason, perhaps, for not having the uh, the small cap fund. Yeah. Um, and uh, our listeners, uh, if you have a look at our entries in the IC Top 100 funds, you can see a write-up on um, Shoulder Oriental Income Fund and Shoulder Asia Pacific Fund, both of which are run by Matthew Dobbs and have considerably better performance records. Now, you and a number of the other commentators suggested adding BlackRock European Dynamic Fund, which we went ahead and did. Why did you suggest adding this fund? Well, this comes back to our fund selection process where we're really looking at the performance and the volatility of that performance over five years. And this fund, uh, along with its sister fund, um, along along with the BlackRock European stable of funds, has a very strong track record at a reasonably low volatility. So when you're looking at selecting a fund that's these are attractive characteristics the blackrock team is very strong obviously you know it's one of the big biggest fund managers if not the biggest fund manager in the world and they have a they have a good track record in this area the other funds that are around about the same level are already in the um in the top 100 anyway Okay, thank you, David. Some really useful points on how to analyse and pick funds and an interesting insight into how we went about putting together the IC Top 100 funds. Earlier this week, 
asset manager Merion Global Investors announced that a number of its open-ended funds are going to sell their holdings and unquoted assets. Dave, you've been looking at this. Mm. Why is Merion doing this and how are they going about it? I guess, first of all, we should say that obviously it's, it's nothing new if funds are buying or selling their holdings. It happens all the time. It's just part of the job. What's a bit more interesting with this is you've, uh, all being well, um, some of Merion's small and mid-cap open-ended funds uh, will be selling at least some of their exposure in unlisted shares. And uh, they'll be selling that on to the Merion Chrysalis Investment Trust, which launched in uh, November last year and um, just focuses on unquoted assets. Um, so that in itself is quite uh, unusual, quite interesting. It hasn't been specified uh, exactly why this sale is taking place, apart from the fact that um, the trust finds them uh, those particular shares, whichever they're buying, attractive. But I guess uh, people have been looking at it, understandably, um, against the backdrop of the Woodford fiasco, which, um, as, as you mentioned, David, it's um, partly related to liquidity and um, his holdings and unquoted assets. So now... Um, as a much greater focus on liquidity and uh, whether open-ended funds should be holding those sort of uh, investments. That said, it's fair to say that open-ended funds largely don't hold unquoted yep, assets. quite unusual, they? yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right, it's unusual, um, but obviously some of Marion's funds are doing it. I mean, mm. what kind of level of exposure do Marion's open-ended funds have to unquoted assets? Again, the trust hasn't specified exactly which funds it will be buying unquoted assets from. Uh, it's just said Merion's small and mid-cap um, equity funds. But I'm going to give you a few examples. Um, so, for example, Merion UK mid-cap, um, that had, uh, at the end of July, that had 6.6% in unlisted shares. Um, Merion UK smaller companies focus had a bit more, had 6.8%. And then Merion UK smaller companies had just over 5%. So I, I guess, like you said, it's it's not um, the most common thing for open-ended funds to have that exposure. So that, that's a lot more than their peers will have. Obviously, we, um, we're talking about a shift from unquoted to open-end mm. funds to closed-end funds. So, I mean, why is it better to hold liquid assets in a closed-end fund such as an investment trust? Or let's say arguably better to hold um, liquid assets in a, in a closed-end fund. Yeah, I mean, the argument comes down to liquidity. These kind of assets, uh, they're increasingly popular, but they're not that easy to sell quickly. And the structure of the closed-ended fund or the investment trust can be advantageous because if I'm an investor, I want to leave the investment trust. Um, what I would do is I would sell my share in that trust um, on the secondary market. So unlike with open-ended funds, the investment manager is not then forced to um, sell assets in order to raise cash and return it directly to me as an investor. Okay. Um, I mean, that sounds good. Um, that said, holding unquoted investments within a closed-end fund isn't a guarantee of strong returns. Mm. Why? I think it comes down to uh, one word, which is sentiment. Um, so if we're looking at share prices and secondary markets, you're basically at the whim of um, how your fellow investors feel. Um, so, Rather than what the actual assets are doing. <coughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, mm -hmm. so for example, if I'm holding um, units in an open-ended fund, the value of that unit will just be driven by whether the assets in the fund are growing or shrinking, depending on performance. 
with an investment trust, it could be performing fantastically. But if investors don't feel optimistic um, or hopeful about that particular area, then um, the share price can still be quite unpopular and um, it can even fall in value. And what's interesting as an, an example is uh, recently Winter Floods, uh, a broker, did a note on private equity investment trusts. Now, these have performed really strongly in the last decade, but for various reasons, they're still languaging on quite hefty discounts. So the average discount in that sector, if you exclude um, 3i, was 18%. So that that's definitely an important thing to bear in mind. Okay, thank you, Dave. And see this week's funds news for his full report on Merian Global Investors' transfer of unquoted assets between its funds. That's all we've got time for today, but also have a look at this week's Investors Chronicle or the website at investorschronicle.co.uk to see all the IC Top 100 funds, changes we've made to the list and information on how to use it. Thank you for listening and have a good weekend.